Hey, welcome to the Football Outsiders live streaming podcast for September 1st, 2022. Better late than never. We're a few minutes <laughs> late, but we are ready to rock. Ready to rock. And this is the final episode of our Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 team previews. We are going to be talking in just a little bit about the uh, Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. But first, we want to tell you about Underdog Fantasy. They are our sponsor. And if you are tired of season-long fantasy football leagues, you want to try out Underdog Fantasy, the fastest-growing company in fantasy sports. Use promo code OUTSIDERS. Double your deposit up to $100 and play in best ball tournaments with $10 million in total prizes. For a fantasy team, you don't have to manage all season long. Just draft now and let it do it for you. And then during the season, pick them product for prop betting markets, even in states where traditional sports books are not available. Promo <laughs> code is OUTSIDERS for a free deposit match up to $100 at underdogfantasy.com or on your favorite app store. Now, we uh, talked about the first two teams from this division on Tuesday, uh, Denver and uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, but they've made a little bit of news. Oh, first I should say Josh Dubow from the Associated Press was supposed to be our guest today, but Josh covers both the Raiders and the San Francisco 49ers, and the 49ers called a press conference. So Josh is unfortunately not joining us. It's just me and Mike to talk about the AFC West. And the big news in the AFC West is not one of the teams that we were planning on talking about. It's that Russell Wilson signed a five-year contract extension, $245 million, including $165 guaranteed. I believe this now puts him third in average annual value and third in total guaranteed money among NFL players. What do you think about this, Mike? Well, I haven't had a chance to really, really, really look at the structure. And I'm seeing things like option bonuses. And i got to kind of look and really dig in. I haven't had time yet to what these option bonuses represent. But what, what was the number? 165 guaranteed? 165 million guaranteed. On the one hand, that's probably going to wind up being virtually guaranteed more like 180, 200 million. I'm guessing some of these option bonuses are things that are going to trigger so easily and so quickly that there would have to be some kind of catastrophe for Russell Wilson not to reach them. So on the one hand, obviously a big deal for a you know perennial Pro Bowl quarterback, even one a little later in his career. The flip side of that is, and I saw a friend of the podcast, Matt Verderam, a fan side, pointing out, this has some trickle-down events, starting with Russell Wilson. And anybody who was looking at the Deshaun Watson contract and saying, well, the wave of the future is fully guaranteed. Right, Clearly, I think the trickle-down effect is Lamar Jackson. Lamar he's Jackson. The next, the next guy to sign. That's what I say. Lamar Jackson. Oh, if Deshaun Watson gets full guaranteed, Lamar Jackson's going to get fully guaranteed. Well, if Russell Wilson can't get fully guaranteed, then the NFL is going to distance itself from sort of that white elephant of the Watson contract. And Lamar Jackson, who, again, is still – it looks like I think that the, the deadline has passed for him trying to get this new contract for this year. Um, he's not going to get a fully guaranteed contract after this. Although I will say that as far as the amount of guaranteed money, like Kyler Murray got more guaranteed money than Russell Wilson. And I think part of that is age, right? Russell Wilson is 33 and Kyler Murray is still in his mid-20s. Right. But part of that is also what these options really look at. And that's why I want to say, if this is an option where 
next year. Again, I have not seen it. In 2023, the 2025 roster bonus becomes vested. If it's that kind of thing, then it's more a matter of them playing games with the uh, escrow money and the salary cap numbers than it is a, a, a reflection of what they think of Russell Wilson. But beyond that, you're right. I, I know Nate Geary, another friend of the podcast, pointed out that this is going to tie them, tie Russell Wilson to the Broncos until he's 39 or 40 years of age. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, that's a risk. On the other hand, it's a reflection of the idea. What they're really doing is making him happy this year, next year, right. probably 2024, at the expense of those future years. When you have what you consider a Super Bowl window, and I, I think that's legitimate for the Broncos right now, despite some of our skepticism about their defense, you keep that window open by keeping Russell Wilson happy in that interim. Yeah, I mean, it's like we said when Murray signed the contract and, you know, uh, it, when you have a win because of quarterback, when you yes. have a guy who you win because of, and right. Wilson right. is definitely one of those guys yes. still, um, you pay him and you have to basically pay him based on, you know, where you came up in line in the right. like, you know, time frame of quarterback contract. So like next guy gets more money and next guy gets more money and next guy gets more money. And so... The Watson contract kind of broke everything, yeah, right? But it it looked like it looks in in retrospect like it didn't completely shift the market and is just weird. Yeah, everybody's just going that the Mahomes contract. Everybody did that too, but we anticipated that the half billion dollar contract was not going to be something other teams emulated. Watson's yeah. like on the other side of that. I believe Mahomes is now the number five quarterback in the league in average annual value, right? which is weird, but then there's like, there are these numbers coming up in like 2024 and 2025. They're going to force him and the team probably to come back to the table or their numbers like 445 million in base salary, where they might just say, Hey, we can eat that. Mahomes is still Mahomes. Russell Wilson. Remember he was the innovator the pioneer of now just give me a four-year contract. Cause I want to go back to the market. I want to go back to the market back in the day. The seven year deal was very popular and guys like Jay Cutler and Joe Flacco signed those and both the team and the player said this is not necessarily, for different reasons, the best fit. Wilson did this so he could keep coming to the market and keep keep cutting to the front of the line, so to speak, the way you, the way you describe it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the other two teams that are being competing with the Broncos in the uh, NFL's best division, the AFC West. And we'll start with the Las Vegas Raiders, which is the team that we have fourth in this division, and it might yeah. seem like their projection is disappointing, but only if you're really thinking them as a playoff team. They right. snuck into the playoffs last year as the fifth seed, shockingly, <laughs> but they were not. I mean, you know, according to DVOA, they were 21st in the league last year and only 19th on offense. So our projections, you're like, shouldn't Devontae Adams improve the Raiders? Why, yes. They go from 19th on offense to projected 13th. They go from 21st overall to projected 14th. That's an improvement, but it still puts the fourth place in the hardest division in the game. I remember you had to keep editing me when I wrote the chapter about this because I kept saying they you snuck kept writing about how they snuck in as the seventh seed, and I kept being like, no, no, they were the fifth seed. They were the fifth seed. But they snuck in as the fifth seed. It was like all that the jockeying between those teams at the bottom and how they got there is somewhat forgotten. Uh, they, they got the Colts during the Carson Wentz. Hey, I'm back from COVID, but I haven't practiced week. They they got, I think, a Tuesday night game or a Wednesday night game against the Browns that they had to put Case Keenum out there or something like that. A lot of those wins late in the season, and this is not a, 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 a denigration of what 
the interim coach, Nick Biasucci, did with them to keep that team on the straight and narrow. But they had fluke wins, and they fluke wind in, and then they get to week 18 against the Chargers, and they have that wacky game, and they come out on the business end of that. It was not a strong team. It was a team that most of us thought when Gruden left and all the other guys started getting in trouble, that's the end, that's the end. They had a run. So this is a, a better team, but it's also – like a stealth rebuilding team. Like on the one hand, there's Devontae Adams up here and Derek Carr and Max Crosby. On the other hand, I think Josh Dubow uh, tweeted it yesterday, 10 or 11 rookies on the roster. Yes, and they have a lot of rookies on their initial roster, including four undrafted free agents. And I'll do this since Josh isn't here, but Josh tweeted this yesterday. 14 players on the Raiders roster who even ever played a game at the Oakland Coliseum. There's all, so that's like 14 guys who were significant members of the team last year, I think, or in the last two years. Three years ago, I guess, was the yeah. last game at the Oakland Coliseum that's, that's was right. 2019. So, so this is the turnover. Who's left, you ask? Jonathan Abram, who's kind of on the bubble. Daniel Carson, yeah. kicker. Derek Carr. A.J. Cole. Max Crosby. Cleveland Farrell somehow. Don't somehow know. still on this team, but this is his last year, yes. <laughs> Jonathan Hankins. Uh, you know, good rotational tackle. Josh Jacobs, who's just hanging around being a running back, don't matter guy. Andre James, Colton Miller, like Max Crosby, a big-time player. Foster Moreau, Hunter Renfro. Trent Sieg, no idea. Long snapper, maybe? And uh, That is the long snapper. <laughs> when in doubt. So three <laughs> of the guys on the list are special teams, right? Cole Carlson and Sieg. Right, so there's three specialists who hung around and then a couple of their stars and then yeah. just a lot of, and otherwise it's been just a ton of turnover, especially from last year. Don't forget, by the way, if you are watching right now live on either YouTube or Twitch to make comments and questions, Joey sucks says six spots up for a non quarterback seems like a pretty rare improvement. I mean, um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, adding a wide receiver star does not help you as much as losing a wide receiver star hurts you. But if you were going to add a wide receiver star, I cannot think of a better one to add than Devontae Adams. And the same goes for the projection system because it's based on DYAR and Adams was like at the top of the league in DYAR for everybody not named Cooper Cup last year. So (laughs) yeah, it absolutely helps the Raiders offense that they added Devontae Adams, like no question about it. Um, There's, you know, it's interesting their offensive line is sort of interesting. I mean, they're depending on Jermaine Illuminor as their right tackle now that they got rid of Leatherwood. Like, I don't know right. if Illuminor is that great either. Mac Hollins is going to be their third receiver. Yeah, I get the- mostly a special teams guy. Right, right. They kept uh, they kept all the wannabe Matthew Slaters. They kept Mac Hollins and they brought Brandon Bolden in. And there's another but guy. Not want to be Matthew Slater. He's the third receiver. Like, <laughs> right, the outside guy opposite Adams. Right. I think he's going to be running a lot of like the, the fly route just to, to, to take the lid off. I think we're going to see a lot of two tight end personnel. Moreau is a heck of a second tight end. Waller appears to be healthy. but it, that, And that's the thing with this team, because, again, the top of the marquee where you say, yeah, Devontae Adams joins Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller with Colton Miller at left tackle, and then Max Crosby on the other side with Chandler Jones. Top of the marquee looks almost Rams-like, and then you have to sift through – all of this stuff at the bottom. And I don't know how good Jermaine Elamore is, but Leatherwood was playing very poorly in the preseason and and it and does not fit what they like to do there. Coral Skipper says, it's not just that Devontae Adams is good. 
It's that he's good and his connection with Carr is why he went to Las Vegas. So this is not a typical situation. And I mean, you know, you can't, there's no numerical value for that. But yeah, I think it probably matters a little bit that these guys have a good connection. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill, Bill Houston asks, does Football Outsiders think McDaniels has matured enough to be a legit head coach? I would say, I don't think there was ever any indication that McDaniels was a particularly bad head coach. He was a horrible personnel guy. <laughs> Rich, Richard Quinn, Robert Quinn. Yeah, the, the, the walking the, tight end in the second round, right. like never played in the league. Like he drafted a corner. I can't remember the name of the guy. And then he traded it like in the second round. And then he traded it to, to Seattle for a seventh. Like he just frittered away picks like there was no tomorrow. Tebow. Like the worst part of McDaniels and Dan Tebow, like the worst sure. part of McDaniels in Denver was his personnel moves, not his coaching. And also some of the behind the scenes skullduggery that was like very open secret that he was like kind of, I, I think I put it in the book that, that like he was marking his territory, you know, like, like a dog. The way all these Belichick guys do the yes. way all the mini Belichicks all have this whole, you know, except apparently for Vrabel, who's sort of not quite a mini Belichick, right. but like they all do this weird pissing thing where they all mark their territory and it makes everybody angry. Right, right. And often they don't have enough to back it up. And that's kind of what happened with McDaniels. All I can say is I kind of left it in the book. If he hasn't matured, that's it. It doesn't matter. He's going to start doing goofy stuff and he's going to tick people off and like nothing we project is going to matter. Got to assume. And part of it is based on, yeah, it's been 13, 14 years since a lot of the things we're talking about and that we haven't heard these rumblings yet. It seems like everybody's in lockstep right now in Las Vegas coming yeah. out of chaos and it seems more buttoned down now that, yes, he, I'm comfortable saying, yes, he has matured as a big picture leader and he still brings his game planning acumen to the table as well. And that's a good combination. Yeah. And the Leatherwood move, I mean, it's not one of their guys, but it does right. send the message. If you suck, it doesn't matter what your draft position is. You're gone. Right. And it wasn't a ton. There's not a ton of their guys on the roster. I mean, if you look, okay, Stidham's the backup quarterback and Bolden comes in. It's yeah. not gratuitous that they grabbed every old Patriots guy. It's not some of the stuff we saw from the Lions, some of the stuff that we saw from the Bill O'Brien Texans there. Brought in guys that he felt comfortable with, you know, in some of these roles. It looks like good, competent general managerial ship from McDaniels's factory. I forget the gentleman's name, but the guy who's doing the GM job there. Oh, but, um, shoot. He was also in New England, and I'm totally yeah, blanking on his I'm name. I'm blanking on him because he's obviously like the – Number two, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. So cover for me while I do that. Coral, Coral Skipper says, I have no clue how true this is as I'm too lazy to do research, but I've always felt like coaches do well on their second jobs. If they have talent, they should have learned from their mistakes. Yes, Ziegler, Dave Ziegler is the name of the guy we're thinking of. He's the GM. And I think that there is a good track record I think for guys who fail in their first jobs and do well on their second jobs. And Belichick is obviously the, the best example of that, but um, I'm trying to think of some other guys who sort of failed. The first time, but did, yeah. Shanahan failed at his first job. Uh, Mike Shanahan failed at his yeah. first job and then did well at his second job. Um, I'm guessing if we actually Carol, run Carol. Oh gosh. Third time. Yeah third time i would say mcdaniels was a little unique in that how badly it went how quickly how many people were soured on it yeah like 
And the Belichick, Belichick was similar because that was very sour when he left the Browns. I mean, like him and Kozar already set fire to each other. Don't say Adam Gase on this podcast. <laughs> the um, the Raiders' defense is projected about the same as where they last uh, where they were last year. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they add Chandler Jones, and that's a nice big add. Mm-hmm. But there are, I mean, some questions in various places. Nate Hobbs is an interesting player. You know, Nate yeah. Hobbs. Um, Pro Football Focus thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread last year. And our charting numbers are very different. That he didn't have a lot of targets, but when quarterbacks targeted him, he was not good. So, like, on a per-snap basis, he didn't give up, like, a ton of yardage. But he wasn't, like, super stingy either. Because on a per-target basis, he actually gave up a lot of yardage last year. And so he's the... He's the um, slot guy when they go to three corners and he'll play regular when they have two corners. And then, you know, I don't really know much about Amik Robertson and Rocky Sin seems like a passable player, but nothing too special. Abram can't really play deep. He really has got to be a box safety. Uh, people like Trevon Morig. I know Derek likes Trevon Morig. Yes. Yeah, I liked Morig coming out of school. I think he did okay last year. He's like more of a deep safety guy. Gives you a chance to put Abram up front. I'm saying Divine Diablo at weak side linebacker, and my head just exploded. Yeah, that's what our lads lists as their starter at weak side oh, linebacker. Yeah. I thought it was going to be Jayon Brown, the ex-Tennessee guy. But, yeah, the linebacker situation is not great. Linebacker situation is not great. You do have your two edge players. Jones comes in replacing Yannick Ngagwe, who played pretty well last year. The trick when you talk about the the nickel defenders and you look at like your Nate Hobbs types of guys, it's very tricky both analytically and scouting wise to get a sense of somebody who might have been lined up, for example, against Travis Kelsey a lot. Yeah, you know, or Tyreek in the slot. A yeah, lot. I mean, I can go into the charting and say you know figure out who who he was covering on targets. Uh, we don't have it charted who he was covering when he was not targeted. Right. But um, yeah, it's complicated. Like uh, with co- with slot guys, it's complicated. We had it years ago where we would do our charting stats with the slot guys and these guys would come out number one. And then the next year it was. Yeah. Was- well, some of that was sample size. Cause that was back before everyone played nickel all the time. And so a lot of these slot guys ended up having fewer targets. So they would come out either really good or really bad. Yeah. And, and that, I think there might still be a little bit of that. So I think Hobbs is like a net positive, but I'm not going to, he's not Kenny Moore. I'm not going to say, Oh, you got this slot guy who's special. Right. Some, uh, along somehow there's a discussion of bad coaching going on I, in the discussion I'm, thread. I'm loving it. I, th- I think Thord- Thordain has won. Uh, uh, we surrender. Jim Tomsula is head coach of the Rhine Fire in the European League, and they are seven and four. And we got Mike McCarthy running around right now. He's very successful on his first tenure. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we were talking about second job, we were talking about guys who failed at their first job. And no, I don't think anybody is saying we should give Urban Meyer a second chance. <laughs> but look, McDaniels has done his time. Yes. Like he has done his time as a coordinator since he was a head coach. Like it's not like this is a year or two later and everybody's rushing to put him back. He's done over a decade as a coordinator since he lost that head coach job in Denver. Exactly. No one mentioned Rich Kotite. Come on, guys. Rich Kotite. But that's the example of the team. And Adam Gase was the same guy. We're grabbing him because we thought the other team was stupid. This is different, like the next year. This is different. You're right. 13 years have passed. I'm a little confused by the Tom DD5's comment about McDaniels being fired after a cheating scandal. The, 
there was a cheating scandal in Denver. Am I not remembering this? I, he, I don't remember him getting fired. I don't even think he was involved in any of the cheating McCheat face Patriots stuff that we never bring up on here. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that is confusing. Bobby Petrino just entered the chat. <laughs> Didn't we're, we're going off the in the NFL. Well, I guess that's like Urban Meyer too. Yeah. So um, there is a little bit of worry on offense. I will say there is a little bit of worry about Darren Waller has some sort of an injury issue, which worries me too, since I have him in Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> I think he's on his way back, though. I thought there was. I think he was trending in the right direction. Uh, the last report on Roto World or what it's NBC Sports Edge is what it's yes. called now. Uh, the last report says that Waller is practicing yesterday, did practice yesterday despite a hamstring issue. And Coach Josh McDaniels says he's, quote, excited to have Waller back on the field. So, okay, Waller is back. And yeah, useful title points out this is a bigger shock to me than the Denver thing that anybody was willing to give McDaniels a head coach shot after what happened with the Colts in 2018. Yeah. Even that was three years, though. Even what, what, two or three years passed before it happened. And it worked out for the Colts because Frank Reich is a good head coach. <laughs> right. Well, when you get dumped on your date and then you meet a meet somebody at the bar, sometimes it works out. But, uh, but yeah, even then, again, a couple of years have passed. It, it's McDaniel. He, he he deserves a second chance. There are a lot of coaches who say this guy does not deserve a second chance. 13 years later, he deserves this opportunity. Nothing ridiculous has happened so far. Urban Meyer would have stepped in a rake 20 times by now. And I'll Gosh, remind man. I'll remind people from the uh, Kubiak overrated and underrated articles that Hunter Renfro is very underrated by his average draft position right now. Huh. He in a PPR league especially. Like he's going to drop from last year when he was a top 10 guy, but he's not going to drop to like 32nd. Like the fact is he's still going to get lots of catches because what are they going to throw to back Hollins? Like they have to throw some passes that aren't to Adams. It's not like Josh McDaniel doesn't have a record of featuring the slot guy. No, wow. Slot guy, white slot guy. White Who slot guy. Slot? God. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a, a, a an easy pass to 120 uh, catches, it, it, typically. I'm, I'm pulling something up real quick since you mentioned him. Uh, it's not in the props that I prepared beforehand, but here is a prop for Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro to break the single-game receptions record in the regular season. So one game of 22 or more catches. At plus 6,500. No, not with Devontae Adams on the team. That's the thing. That's the thing. Not going to happen. But but that's the mentality we should be looking at with Hunter Renfro. He's going to catch a million little short passes. Tom DD5. Okay. I had forgotten about this. You're right. Steve Skarnecchia was working as an assistant in Denver and was caught videotaping a San Francisco 49ers practice, and Denver was fined $50,000. Oh, my God. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for reminding us of that. Thank you. And that's absolutely correct. Although he had built up a lot of ill will in the organization. Yeah. So like, oh, a, a convenient excuse to get rid of this guy. But thank you. Yes. Uh, as soon as you say cheating, I, we go right to the Patriots. Sorry, we don't we don't think of the Broncos. What do you have for us on props with uh, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders? Besides that masterpiece I just gave you, Raiders. Now, these are alternate lines. So, again, you have your regular line, which I believe – 
is 8.5. Is, is it 8.5 or 9? From what I'm seeing here, it must be 8.5 because okay. the alternate line over 9.5. So if you want a little more juice and go over 9.5 for the Raiders, that's at plus 155. Uh, I mean, it feels like they're going to be in that sweet spot of like nine and eight. Yeah. So I might, I might go with it. I might. That, that's where I am. I'll give you the other one here is if you wanted to go under, excuse me, there under 7.5, you're a plus 180. I would, I don't think so on that one. I think they're better than that. The problem with this team is that they're such a nine and eight ish team. Yeah. That they just really groove in there and like, oh, I'm so excited for them or I'm so down on them. None of that juice is good enough. Like, no, they're going to land right around the number. I'm going to interrupt you. We forgot to do the question of the day. We were so wrapped up talking about Russell Wilson. Oh, gosh. We forgot to do the question of the day. Right, so let's put up the poll for the question of the day. The question of the day is a, basically a prop bet question about the Raiders, which is how many receiving yards will Devontae Adams have? A, 1,600 or more. And what he had last year was 1,553. B, somewhere between 1,450 and 1,600. C, somewhere between 1,300 and 1,450, which would be what he did the previous couple of years. Or D, lower than 1,300. That is the current, that is the question of the day about how many yards will Devontae Adams have receiving yards. According to this book, his projection is for 1,338. Yes. Uh, which at first blush might sound a little low, but it seems like a reasonable like you have all these variables with Devonte Adams and, and whoever wrote the right, it pri- it prices in the idea that he might miss a game or two, might miss a game or two. He might have a little decrease going from Rogers to Carr, might have a little decrease going from being the guy like with a bullet and everything else like that to being sort of mixed in a little bit more with the tight end and with Hunter Redfrow. Um, what was the second best of the of the group? The A was 1600, B was 1450 to 1600, C is 1300 to 1450. Our projection is C, yeah, but I'm a little comfortable with B because I feel like there's a lot's going to go through him there. There's going to be a lot of shootouts. Readers seem to like B, readers seem to like B. In fact, I was on Gabriel Morenci's show and we were talking about uh awards. And he seems like a, a decent dark horse offensive player of the year candidate. Yeah, definitely. If he does it without Rogers, does the same thing as he's done the last couple of years. Yeah. Right. Right. It's plus 1800. So the, the number on that would be pretty cool. And yeah, you got a guy who comes in and say they say they go 10 and seven, which isn't that bit much better than that last year, but it'll look like a big success, like in terms of the expectations. And he catches 120 passes and stuff like that. It's definitely possible. Yeah. I got one more prop. Hold on. Devontae Adams, Hunter Redfro, and Darren Waller combined for 2,999.5, 3,000. So Adams, Renfro, and Waller combined for over 3,000 regular season receiving yards plus 150. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a bet that none of them will get hurt. Yeah. 
None of them get hurt, and they'll just do their things. Okay. Oh, and there was another one. So we like that one. Uh, since we're talking about Adams. Adams to have at least one 200-yard regular season game at plus 600. No, I mean, that's one of those fun ones to watch for the whole season, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I, I kind of like it better because of the uh, the plus 600 element and because it's just watch the games and root for chaos. And there's a bunch of them, by the way, in my walkthrough this, this week. A lot of watch the game and root for chaos bets that you can drop right now. That wouldn't be that didn't make my list of real favorites, but it's it's reasonable to look at. I like the other one with three thousand yards between the three guys. Uh, one more question with the Raiders before we move on to Kansas City from Bill Houston: Does Gruden's recent non-apology apology weasel him back into the league? Well, it starts as if he wants to go to war with the league over all the other things he has in his emails that are going to get everybody else in trouble. If he if he keeps dropping that bomb, no. If not, he didn't need the Weasley apology, not apology. Everybody would forget in a year or two. It's, it's more a matter of whether he wants to still. I, I mean, I think at this point, nobody wants to bring him back as a coach. And I don't feel like he was a good enough TV guy that you want to take the stress of making him your color commentator. So I think, no, I think he's done being football adjacent. I don't know. TV is different because there's a level of you have to sell this to the Right. To the world, him reappearing as a consultant somewhere for a year or two and rebuilding his image that way. Maybe, maybe as a consultant, but like nobody's going to give him the coaching reins. They're going to look at the draft picks that he made and went, oh my. And that probably is it. It's not so much about the email thing as much as the email thing, coupled on top of the fact that he took this organization and was running it very sideways and downwards. Yeah. I think that that is the case. Bill Houston says Gruden has retired into the black hole, which is feeding. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the last team in the AFC West, which is the first team in the AFC West, not by our projections, but certainly by the standings for the last couple of years. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs, where, I mean, you know, we're still projecting their offense to be awesome. God, the deep the, the projections hate their defense. Like just yeah. hate their defense. Like I it's a little weird, but some of it has to do with players that they've lost. Special teams should be good. I will note that I've up I've upgraded their special teams a little bit from the book because I looked at like and the fact is the Chiefs have been consistently good on special teams since they hired Dave Taub as the coordinator. So I up their special teams a little bit in the same way that I do for the Patriots and Ravens. But the um the Carlos Dunlap signing didn't move the needle on the projections, I don't think. Because and he wasn't he's he's like a useful guy, but he's not like a really good edge rusher at this point. And rookie defenders don't do a lot in the projections. Is that correct? Rookie defenders help a little bit. Rookie okay. defenders help more than rookie offensive players. So yeah, they get some credit for Carloftis and McDuffie. Yep. Okay. Okay. I guess when I look at this and I see second and 30th and I was like, Oh, the offense looks a little higher than I would think. And the defense looks a little lower. So what you move them to third and 29th, you move them to fourth and 28th. Now, again, when we do that, you have to point out offense is more important in those yes. rankings than defense, but this still generally looks like a recognizable chiefs team. Even if I say, Oh, the defense should be better because of Dunlop and Carl Laftis and the offense should be weaker without Tyree. And the schedule thing, like I pointed out on yes. Tuesday's show, the three games that are different 
for two division rivals. Okay. The Chiefs have to play the Bills, the Buccaneers, and the Bengals, while the Chargers get the Miami Dolphins, the Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett, (laughs) and the Atlanta Falcons. And that's it. And that's That's a huge difference in schedule. Right. That's just like an, an it's an argument winner. Because if you start like like really like micromanaging, well, what if Jerry Tillery is still on the team, and what about this in the pass rush? It's those three games that are probably going to decide it. I mean, not that I don't think the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs have a good shot at winning the division. I just think the Chargers have a better shot at winning the division, and I think those three games are the reason why. Uh, but the Chiefs are still a really good team. Like this right. is absolutely a Super Bowl contender. We have them lower than Vegas, but this is absolutely a Super Bowl contender. I think they will do a better job of replacing Tyreek Hill than Green Bay will do of replacing Devontae Adams. I think you're right. I think that part of it is that they did more work. Both, by, I think Sky Moore was a better choice than some of the receivers that they brought in. And then you bring in a Juju Smith-Schuster, who everybody just sort of writes off, and this is a significant addition. I think MVS, for what he does, is a significant addition. Um, and one of the things I, I talk about in the book in term is, okay, for this year, what's done is done, and you're not quite the Bills, and you're not quite at the top of the heap anymore. The idea that this is the pivot strategy towards more years of Patrick Mahomes' excellence with a team that might be a little bit more balanced on offense and have better defense, that makes perfect sense for these Chiefs. So if this is a 10-11 win team this year, you still have to worry about them a year, two, three, four years down the line rebuilding around Mahomes because of the moves they made this year. Right. This is not a win-now team. They have not gone all in. Right. Like This is the opposite of the recent Rams and Buccaneers strategies. They have specifically lengthened their window, not shortened it, at the cost of this year's chances. Yes. Thordain says it feels like we're at an Andy Reid pivot point like the post-2005 Eagles, where he has to refresh a championship team and keep the same drive, although obviously Mahomes is a big step up over McNabb. Yes. I think a lot of that is, yeah, in, in the general broad picture, true, you're right. Obviously, Mahomes gives them much more of a future um, and there's were more draft picks and everything put in this year. And there was less drama, of course, because T.O. was a big part of that. But this is sort of like a lesson learned. How do we refresh this roster type of situation? I think. There, there was some pushback to me and Brian. You know, Brian and I wrote this piece where we gave our picks on awards and we both picked Mahomes as the favorite for MVP. And there was some pushback in the comments based on the idea of Mahomes' stats dropping last year. Like, he was not the number one quarterback last year by any advanced metric. Right. I know PFF's grades really had him dropping. Um, I feel like you have to look at more than a year. Like, when you think about who's the best quarterback in the game, you think about the last two or three years. And then you also think about age, right? Because the fact is, there is a chance of Rodgers declining and there is a chance of Brady declining. And... That there's a better chance of that than there is of Mahomes or Herbert or Allen declining. Right. And I feel like when you look at that larger picture, you still have to say Mahomes is like, who would you bet on to be the best quarterback in the game this year? Probably. I mean, my number one bet would be Mahomes. Mahomes would be there. And then like Josh Allen would be there. And then the legacy guys would have to stay there. But like, and I'm Mr. Herbert's uh, above Allen. So yeah, Herbert would need to be there. Yeah. But Mahomes would be number one. Like, I still feel like Mahomes would be not who was the best quarterback last year. Right. Who's most likely to be the best quarterback this year based on age and not just last year, 
but the last two or three years, I feel like it's still Mahomes. Yeah, if you're picking Herbert over Mahomes right now, you're, you're basically, I hate to say it's just you like what he saw, you saw in that the fourth quarter in week 18 or something like that. I know it's more to it than that. But you're basically saying, I haven't seen the slump yet. I haven't seen the downside at all of Herbert yet. Therefore, he's going to continue to have upside. Whereas with Mahomes, we saw some of the downside last year. And some of the downside last year was big wins and and, and games that, that, that he was able to pull it out one way or the other yeah. on. It's just that like you do have those misfires and you had the whatever happened in the second half of the game against the Bengals where he suddenly forgot how to play football. And let's, you know, people have had bad halves. Montana had bad halves in the playoffs. Like people have had bad halves in the playoffs before and come back and been fine. And Justin Herbert had bad halves against the Texans last year, but it was a one o'clock game that we didn't necessarily see earlier in the season. So you can say, oh, he grew out of that. Well, maybe, or maybe we still have volatility. We have volatility with Mahomes and it's, Best quarterback, you know, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback down to Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. There's definitely a chance to swing back up, uh, even without Tyreek Hill. Brandon Roney points out Mahomes was number one in, in the league, I'm assuming, in EPA per play, including both the regular season and the playoffs, question mark, until the second half against Cincinnati when he just forgot how to play football. Like, it was weird. Right. And there... And then there was the whole, well, cover two is his kryptonite type of thing. And yeah, there was an adjustment period there as, as the uh, Chiefs offense stopped trying to score a 14-yard touchdown, excuse me, a 14-point touchdown on every play because they're playing 20 yards off the line. And folks, if the opponent is playing cover two against you every single snap, that means you've already pretty much won because they're terrified of what your quarterback and your passing game can do, and you can do anything you want underneath. Chiefs didn't quite leveraged that as well as they could for a few games, then turned around and used it to get to the AFC championship game. Yeah. And yes, Brandon Roney says in both the regular and postseason combined, Mahomes was number one in wow. EPA per play wow. until wow. halftime against Cincinnati. Whenever so he still last year, despite the fact that PFF didn't grade him as well, despite the fact that he had those two or three games early in the season, like against Washington where they didn't yeah. look as good and he threw some weird interception, whatever. Like EPA per play does not uh, filter out interceptions that are the receiver's fault, right? Right. He yeah. still was number one. He wasn't as good in DVOA as he was in EPA per play, but he was still near the top of the league in DVOA. Kansas City, their offense should – I think their offense is going to be great. Yes. Um, the defense is the question, and there was a question from Bill Houston. Do you have any particular thoughts on uh, Justin Reed – being an upgrade or a downgrade from Tyron Matthew. And do you think Matthew's temperament hastened his Kansas city departure? I honestly think that was mostly salary cap. They knew how to work with the honey badger. They, they, they knew what they were up against sort of. Keeping. That's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind of like sort of like the diva receiver, but on defense and Reed knows how to deal with that. Spags knew how to deal with that, et cetera. I think Reed is a downgrade because you don't get a lot of the, um, uh, you know, flexibility in the slot some of the other things you can do with Matthew. One question I have with that is how many more years can you do those things with Matthew? How how good an idea was it really to tr put him in, in some of those positions moving forward? In the long run, I think going more conventional in the secondary and that shell there might make more sense, but in the short term, it's a downgrade. Yeah. Uh, what kind of fun props do we have for the, uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs? Let's see. Chiefs over 11 and a half plus 160. 
It's steep, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I would go with that. I don't think I would go with that. No, I'd like a plus 200 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the reality is I kind of root for the Chiefs in the AFC because they're just so darn fun. There's just watch. so much fun to watch, yeah. And there's an Andy Reid connection going back in my heart and all. But I need more action to actually put money on top of that. No interest whatsoever in under 9.5 at plus 200, though. Well, our you know our simulation may be overly conservative, but it would it would like that bet actually. Yeah, our our simulation likes that bet for plus two hundred. I mean, I think our simulation is over conservative, but still for plus two hundred, I think I might I might take that. You're talking about tripling your money if they go under nine point five. Right, right. Well, betting with my heart, I'm not doing it. But yeah, there's an argument right. to be made. Joey sucks is over under four point five mentions of cover two per game for the season. I might go over. under. You're going over. Over. Okay. On Twitter, the over-under is 4.5 million mentions. Yes, uh, that's true. And uh, at least one-tenth of them well-informed. Also, let's see what we got here. Patrick Mahomes to throw for at least 500 yards in any regular season game at plus 800. Let me tell you, Mahomes cracked 500 twice each in 2021, 2020, and 20. Actually, he cracked 400 twice. But not 500. Not 500. Yeah, so, 500 is a hard one to bet on. That's a hard one to bet on. It's very rare. 500 has only happened about three times in the last three years. Joe Barrow, Ben Roethlisberger, and I believe Jared Goff are the only 500. Yes, Jared Goff. <laughs> Jared Goff against the Buccaneers in a turnover battle with J Jameis in 2019. He did it. So forget what I said, but the bet still stands. You can get plus 500 from Mahomes at plus 800. Fun, oh, over, one over game five, over 500 yards for plus 800. Yeah. And Joey Sucks says it actually looks good because of the if the defense is not as good. You're that basically suggests. saying one of these shootouts will go completely off the rails and he'll get 500. Again, you can check walkthrough for props like this. Kind of okay with it. Don't love it. Here's another Mahomes prop that you might like better as soon as I click it. Mahomes over. 5,000 regular season passing yards and over 40 regular season passing touchdowns, passing touchdowns at plus 180. So 5,040 over both at plus 180. Hmm. I don't know. 17-game season. Possible. I mean, we're not projecting that. No. Right. Possibility of six shootouts in the in the in the division alone. Yeah, mayhem. I might go for that one with the odds. That would be a fun one to root for. Certainly, it. Brian says it feels like it requires the other three teams in the division to all live up to their hype. Yeah, on offense at least. Yeah. Yeah. These props are. Uh, These are not on. Yeah, these are not on underdog. Underdog does more of a fantasy thing, not so much a prop thing. These are about on DraftKings. But stop by underdog, and you can see all kinds of fantasy options and games, not just for football, by the way, also baseball and when the season comes, basketball and hockey. Didn't see any tennis. They might have tennis too. I don't know. Can you do best ball for tennis? You know, take like one set of Serena Williams and one set of – some other female tennis player I don't know the name of any of them who are not Serena Williams. 
I don't know. That would be a pretty wild. Uh, Do you know the name of any female tennis players who are okay? Wait a minute. I have a better question. Do you know the name of any current tennis players at all who are not Serena Williams, male or female? Uh, uh, there's the anti-vax dude. I know him. Yep. I way up That's the name. only one. No, Novak Djokovic. I can only name two current tennis players. Oh, Naomi Osaka. I can name three. Uh, well, uh, the uh, uh, Sloane Stevens, right? Vern Stevens's daughter. She's she's still there, right? She still plays, right? I don't know. <laughs> right. She's like a 17-time champion, by the way, and I'm referring to her as the old fullback of the Patriots' daughter, which is like I know, kind of toxic on my part, but I got them all up here. Anastasia Potapova. <laughs> Does Venus Williams count? Has Venus retired yet? I don't know. I don't think she's in the open right now. We're not we are, tennis people is what we're saying. We're demonstrating get, a frightening. Get Bill other. Connolly on here. Bill Connolly likes tennis. We are not tennis people. Demonstrating Male or female. Frightening or level female. of incompetence right now. Uh, and not and not helping the sponsor at all. Underdog Fantasy, I don't think they do tennis. They do a lot of baseball and football, though. Go check it out. Use the promo code OUTSIDERS to get a $100 deposit match. And tell them. Yes, and best ball is cool. Best ball is cool because... You don't have to do all that watching the waiver wire and watch as that one guy in your league who like really pays attention to the waiver wire snipes everybody, especially in other sports. Like I, I've got it like in basketball in our multi league where we do three sports at once. Like Ian Dembski is the only person who pays attention in basketball to who the young guys are. And he constantly takes the good guys off the waiver wire before anybody else notices they're there. And like a best ball, it would be nice to do best ball and not have a waiver wire in basketball. Agreed. And like around here, it's like uh, football outsiders, Ian O'Connor. And he's like jumping on there and like grabbing guys while we're writing about them. We can't even pick them up yes. in the waiver wire because we're actually trying to update the uh, the things. But I'm I'm the old uncle in the fantasy league. I, I admit it. I used to be like a shark with this stuff. And then I'll draft a team. And then by week five, even though I'm writing about these guys, I forget about it. I'm kind of bored with it. I'm done with it. I get outbid for somebody that like I interviewed two weeks earlier. It's frustrating. Go to something like underdog. It's best ball. You just fire and forget. Draft the team. Get in there, see if you win money at the end. And there's a lot of other like weekly DFS things there as well you can check out. All right. So final question for the show. In your heart, Chiefs or Chargers? Can the Chargers overcome and actually win this division? In my head, the Chargers. And for all the reasons you said, and because Justin Herbert does look that good, and I do like Brandon Staley, in my heart, my heart belongs to the Chiefs. But in my head, I think the Chargers have all the things they need to do this, including yeah. a slightly better schedule. I'm rooting for the Chargers and their three or four actual fans. <laughs> I, I do think the Chargers and Bill Houston says, and this this might be how it comes out: Chargers win division, yes. Chiefs are the better team. Like That's Chiefs very have possible. a slightly higher DVOA, but because of the schedule, the Chargers win the division. Are That's you ready? To are you ready to write those articles every week about how the Chiefs have better DVOA, but they're behind the? Uh, behind no, the because I'm not going to have to because it's not like the Chargers fans are going to be coming after me. That there aren't any. <laughs> oh my god! No, I kid. There are some. There are some, but you know, there's three or four. They they're have out. like a hockey-sized fan base, right? Like, I mean, how many more are there? More Boston Bruin fans or Los Angeles Chargers fans? I don't know, but I'm guessing if you go to a Bruins home game, it's all Bruins fans. You can't say that about a Chargers yeah. home game. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, it. I mean, right? Like, most football teams have a football sized fan base. The Chargers have like a hockey sized fan base. So they have a fan base. And George Karlaftis got a mention in there. And I don't think it was from uh, Purdue. Bill uh, Houston uh, says Karlaftis has looked really good. Is he a slim down Frank Clark? I mean, he, they get points for him in the projection, but there's no points in our projections for looked really good in the preseason. Right. He is plus 1,600 for Defensive Rookie of the Year. So that's a thought because he's going to get sacks, a lot of sack opportunities, going to be opposite Clark, going to have Chris Jones on that same line. So he could be the guy who winds up with a dozen sacks, whereas Aiden Hutchinson, as good as he is, is getting blocked all the time against a game where they're running out the clock. Bill Houston also points out there are more tennis fans than Chargers fans. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. If people are going to come after us, it's tennis. The tennis fans do like tennis. Yeah. We're done. This is never this is never going to fly as a tennis podcast. All right. That does it for all, not just for today. That does it for the entire Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 preview series. We have hit all 32 teams over eight weeks. Congratulations, Mike. We hit them all. We made, we made it. I, I went to Europe. I came back. We were still doing it, but we, we did it all. It. We caught them all. Uh, so let's talk about the schedule. No podcast live stream from Football Outsiders, Monday and Tuesday. Regular in-season live streams begin Wednesday at 1 p.m. with the NFL News Show with Cale Clinton and Jackson Robert. Then Thursday at 1 p.m., you and me, Shots and Tenure. And then Friday at 1 p.m., Derek Klassen's Film Review Game Preview with Cale Clinton as his co-host. Awesome. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, and there's a the betting show. I don't think the betting show is live. I think the betting show is recorded, but will be on YouTube and on the podcast feed. There will be a betting show with Ian O'Connor and Tom Strachan, our new fantasy guy. A betting and fantasy show on Thursday. So all that starts on Wednesday, September 7th. So come back. 1 p.m. Eastern, live, live stream here on our YouTube channel, on the podcast network, uh, starting Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, until then, I hope you all have your Football Outsiders Almanac 2022. Um, Joey Sucks asks, is there still a Win the Wire show? You, you know, I've got to run a whole schedule somewhere. But no, the, the fantasy show is going to be the Thursday show. The Thursday show with Tom Strachan is the fantasy show. There, uh, last year, we did fantasy shows on Tuesday and Friday. Okay. This year, yeah. it's this year the schedule for the one. Yes, there's short form waiver content. The, the 1 p.m. schedule is. You have no idea. Go on, go on. <laughs> Ian O'Connor and Mike. Ian O'Connor and Mike on Monday. Yes. The DVOA data show with Vince, Brian, Knowles, and me on Tuesday. Then the news show with Kale and Jackson Roberts Wednesday. Then me and Mike doing our thing on Thursday. And Derek Klassen and Kale on Friday. Those are the 1 p.m. live streams that start next Wednesday. Right. And if we can barely keep it straight, don't worry about it. Just tune in. 1 o'clock. Two of us will be talking about something. Yes. There will be football outsiders people here starting next Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern every day. Yes. All right, that does it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Like and subscribe. Please like and subscribe. Please, please, please. Tell your friends about our shows, and we'll be back with you next Wednesday, 1 p.m. Have a good Labor Day week.